Welcome to the Building Doctor Show with Jens Johansson. Okay, welcome to the Building Doctor Show. I'm your host, Jens Johansson. I'm glad to see you're here wanting to learn more about your buildings. Uh, this show is about sharing information and resources to help keep your building in good condition and therefore maximum value and to keep your community happy and not fighting with one another. Everybody knows your home can get emotional and we want to help you navigate that. So today's sponsor is J2 Building Consultants. We're a group of uh, engineers, designers, and project managers that help diagnose, prescribe, and treat sick buildings. So just like a doctor, we diagnose the problem, prescribe the right plan, and help you treat the problem by overseeing the contractors to make sure they put the buildings back together correctly. You can find J2 in Seattle, Washington, Portland, Oregon, and Salt Lake City, Utah, and the surrounding states. And of course, find us online on the web at j2consultants.com. Uh, let's see. So today we have a guest. Brian, turn your video on so we can see you. <clears throat> you got to give me permission, Jens. I got to give you permission to turn your video on. Well, we could we could have a totally different uh, show. We could. <laughs> okay. Let's see. I could make you the co-host. How about that? <laughs> That'd be dangerous. You'd be able to flip the screens now. <clears throat> okay, there you are. Welcome, Brian. <clears throat> you got to update your uh, got to update your look. You've got you've got a beard currently, but on the uh, slide there, you've you're beardless and you're much more tan. So anyway, welcome to the show. <laughs> well, thank you. My wife told me that old men have beards, so <laughs> I had to grow it out. <clears throat> you had to grow it out. So you're okay. So. You are Brian, your vice president at Charter Construction in Seattle, Washington, and uh, you oversee all estimating and construction operations for Charter's construction defect repair team, and uh, your expertise and passion have helped Charter become an industry leader in the envelope repair and remediation projects. Do you have anything else to add to that? No, I am just grateful to be here. It's good to be here with uh, the current company and... There's a lot of struggles out in the world today, and so it's a good good thing to be here as part of the solution to those challenges and uh, look forward to helping people solve some of their problems. Yeah, well, thanks for coming on. So audience, now that you know where we are from, we're going to send out a little poll and find out where you are from. And uh, <clears throat> this will help us today, help us tailor our answers. Uh, so if you're primarily board members or uh, community managers or one state or another, we can, we can help tailor that. So while you're filling this out and others are joining, let's talk about the format of the show. The format of the show is webinar-based, so you can attend live like many of you are and ask Q&As at the end of, end of the uh, question period. But you can also submit your questions online all month and watch it later. We get it. It's Tuesday at 3.30. Uh, we all have something to do. But if you're like me, you, you can binge watch some of your webinars you're trying to get caught up on on Sunday. And you'll be able to get that replay if you've signed up for this. So this format gives us an hour to discuss, a whiteboard to draw on, some, some photos to be able to share and show, 
and to be a little bit more serious and provide a little bit more classroom, if you will, or some more perspective as opposed to our social channels. So you can find us all on those social channels. Brian, did you know we went uh, 25 million viral on TikTok? <laughs> polling, polling, siding off a building. We got, uh, we got a lot of views on that. So I would encourage you, encourage your social media people to look at TikTok. So, wow, kind of fun. Uh, this format also gives us the ability to have guests like Brian. That'll give you some perspective on things. So today you're going to hear about a contractor's perspective on things. Next month's guest will be a real estate expert uh, where we'll discuss today's real estate market and questions about selling, disclosures, inspections. We're getting a whole wave of uh, inspection work because, you know, in this hot market, everybody waves the inspection. And now guess what? They have some surprises. But we'll also talk about that Freddie Mac disclosure law. I've got the form in front of me. It's Freddie Mac form 1076. So uh, in order to provide lending, we need to issue some type of letter, or at least you have to have a, uh, a design professional be able to take a look at your building. And when was that? There's this whole list. So that's kind of a new, new thing in the... Uh, that would be the national lending market. So not just three states or four states we work in, but everywhere. So let's go back to that poll results here. Where are we? Here's the end poll and share results. We've got people from every state. That's good. We've got <clears throat> more board members than managers or homeowners. And we've even got a few just curiouses. Uh, how'd you hear about it from your manager, from our newsletter? Have you been through a repair project before? Yes, lots. Okay. So you can click the stop sharing. I will just X that out. So that's the results. Disclaimers. Every good webinar needs some disclaimers. Uh, here they are. This show is free. So put away your credit cards. We aren't selling you anything. And so if you get any spam bots trying to get you to buy something, that's not us. Uh, this show is for educational content only. We, Brian and I, are not giving legal, financial, or engineering advice, and I'm not a medical doctor. We're just two guys on the internet trying to help you run, run your building. Just two guys on the internet trying to help you run your building better. And we've helped thousands of clients do that. We've seen what worked and what didn't, and we want to share that with you in hopes that it benefits you. So, uh, my CV will be in the chat there if you want to learn more about my qualifications. So today is episode two. It's April 2022. It's tax season. We're going to talk about some supply chain or delays and things like that. Brian, did your accountant pull the supply chain problem on you and you have to file an extension or do you get everything turned in on time? No, I, I barely made the cutoff. Post <laughs> yep. Excellent. That's good. Do you have any do you have any opinions on Twitter's new ownership? Is that going to be a good thing or a, do you even use Twitter? I try to stay off of it. What's Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Next year we'll look back at that and go, "Wow, what's Twitter?" So anyway, thank you all for being here. We are excited to have you and share this information. We've got seven questions this month that we deemed building Dr. Show worthy, but stay tuned for the end where you can ask your live Q&A. We'll answer as many as we can in the hour and then add any of those unanswered questions to the next show. So use the Q&A tab and type in your questions. 
And we'll have a couple of nice giveaways. Brian's giveaway is totally upstaged ours. So uh, stay tuned for those. We'll do the random number generator thing again. And uh, if you want to get on a one-on-one -on -one consult call or contact either of us, we'll have some information for you to do that. So let's jump into the show. There we go. And there's Brian. There's his contact information. Uh, Chartercon. Dot com. Brian at chartercon.com. Okay, today's agenda, seven questions. First question talks about COVID shortages. And when Brian and I were talking before the show, we it became clear to me that, you know, we hear about supply chain and COVID and this and that and the other thing, that that's a real broad brush. There's about 75 things that are contributing to this. Um, and so it's, it's interesting. Brian, Brian will bring some good perspective to that. But these first two questions are about that. First question, COVID shortages. We're trying to plan the right time to make repairs to our roof and siding. Uh, can we include windows in that too? Uh, is that a good idea? So we'll, we'll talk about that and some lead time issues with windows. Second question, you know, supply chain issues, uh, inflation, material cost increases. Uh, what do we do with our bid that's six months old? Uh, how do we control these problems during like a 10-month, 12-month job? We don't want to get uh, buffaloed by big change orders. And then <laughs> should we just wait for a crash to do the work? Yeah, well, that's one way to do it. Uh, contractor inspections. My contractor has inspected versus investigated. And so there's a little bit of a distinction there. Uh, contractors perform some work on the building. Why do we need to do another investigation before we start the work? We'll, we'll get to that. Uh, ballpark estimates. Uh, how fast can we get them? We'd like to go to our bank and start planning. Um, you know, we have a we have a board meeting next week. Can we get a can we get a price? And so that's those are good, those are good questions. Uh, stucco and window replacement, and this this one kind of focuses around a targeted repair versus a complete repair, and we'll talk about the ins and outs of that. And also, you know, uh, have our opinions changed over the past eleven years? Uh, do it yourself projects. So we have a couple of. Interesting photos from bathroom tile surrounds. Obviously, that's inside the unit. So uh, the resident is usually responsible for installing new tile. But when they do it wrong, does it damage the exterior sheathing and framing of the building? So just like uh, if you let your unit owners replace their own windows, what can happen if it goes bad? And, and what are some guidelines we can set up around that? And then the seventh question is contractor vetting. You know, do they need to be licensed, bonded, insured, all that stuff? And, and what are some good ways to vet them? And how do we know if they can perform the work? So, all right, we're all sick of this COVID term, COVID shortages. So jumping right into, we need to do the roof and siding. We have a tight budget. We probably need new windows too, but when so many places are having trouble ordering windows, I think we'll just do the siding and roof for now. Is this a good plan? So, Brian, contractor, tell us about shortages. What's what's the longest lead items? What are windows doing? What what are long lead items? And what does this question refer to? Well, yeah, let's let's talk about windows a little bit first. The, the 
I remember the day when you used to be able to get windows in two weeks, right? Right. It went to six weeks and we all thought that was insane. And it became the new normal. And now with all of the issues going on, we're seeing windows taking between 12 and 16 weeks to get. And that can be really problematic for some of our projects. Obviously this person has, has experienced that. But one thing that are a couple of things that I would note here first is windows have a similar lifespan to siding. So if, if your siding is old and needing to be replaced, your windows are probably not far behind. Even if they haven't leaked yet, you don't want to replace the siding and then 10 years from now have to take the siding off again to get new windows in. So unless your siding is kind of has a defect, it's in the first five to 10 years of its life and has a defect that's triggering it being replaced, you probably want to get the windows in the same cycle. Now, the other challenge that you have, yes, you can remove and reinstall windows, but when you do that, there's going to be some trade damage to those windows at the very least. And at the most, you could have existing damage, broken flanges, broken miters, broken seals, all of these things will happen as you're taking a window out and putting it back in. And as you take it out and you rack it at all, those miters can, can break on you. And then you have to order a new window in the spur of the moment. So let me, let, me, let me pause you just for a second because you brought up a good point. Even if we can do a targeted thing and reuse those windows, what, what Brian's talking about is we call it constructability damage. You're going to find 5, 10, 15% of your windows do need to be replaced or they just get broken just because they're nailed in too tight or jammed in the frame, jammed in the hole, and, and they just get broken. So he's, what he's referring to is you're still going to need 20 windows. And if you have to wait four months to get those 20 windows, that's going to be a big pain. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't think about that. Yeah, so if you have to wait that four months, the cost of the, of the delay can be more than the cost of those windows. Now, the way that I would recommend you try and approach that is if you have a lot of the same windows over and over again, you order some of them at the start so that you have some on hand. And that way, if you run into an issue, at least you have some that you can swap in. But that, that may mean that you're buying a few and they don't get used and you're just burning them up. Right. I think, I think another thing we've seen is, is <clears throat> the windows may have a, you know, three to five years life left, but now that we've had in this little picture in the bottom, uh, I'll turn on my little laser pointer. Now we've had all these ladders propped against the building. Maybe we've had some pump jacks or some scaffolding. Uh, we've done all this siding work. And then a few years later, we got to come back and set it all up again and pull that trim off and, and put in windows and scratch the siding and, you know, just do that. It's a little bit of a little bit of an issue to, to do that. Not saying that we can't, but I think I think people overestimate on how long they can get a little bit more life out of or how, you know, breaking it into two projects, if that's good or bad. Now let's talk about roofs for a second, roof and siding. You can do those independently, uh, but what are, some, what are some tips that if you're doing those, uh, you know, next year we'll do the roof, for instance. What, what, what works well as a contractor to see in a scope of repair? Yeah, usually if you're trying to break a project up and you know you have to both do both items, the roof is usually the better item to do first because you're starting at the top and you're working your way down. You don't want to replace the siding and then a leaky roof lets water in right behind it. So right. 
Now there's also interaction between the siding and the roofing. And so there are certain details that you're gonna wanna do if you're replacing a roof now and you wanna be able to replace siding later. And so having reglet flashings that allow you to take the components apart again, fairly economically in the future is, is critical. Having wide trims that you can pop a trim off rather than having to pull every piece of siding off to get access to those step flashings. Right. Yep. Yep. Good idea. The, um, yeah. So, um, windows and siding, I guess back 10, 15 years ago, we used to, we used to see a lot more saving the windows. Now we, and, and we, we, we talk to the clients and say, you know, it's kind of like, it's, it's buying a new suit, but then putting your old socks back on. And it's like, you've gone to the trouble of getting this new look, new thing, and you know, you're going to have to deal with it shortly. Uh, so, and many boards are coming back saying, I appreciate the idea to save some money, but let's just go for it. Let's, let's, you know, wrap it into a cost-effective loan and, and uh, do the whole thing. But yeah, there's pros and cons. We can, we can do that. And there's another question about that in the stucco repairs we'll get to. Okay. What are the, what, windows are 16 weeks. That's four months. Jeez, you got to order windows in January to start in April. What, uh, what's another long lead item? So other supply chain issues that we've had, um, they've, they've rotated around. Usually each year we will have something that, that is an issue in a normal right. year. What's made the last couple of years really exceptional is we've had all of these issues happen simultaneously. I think you're so jumping into that second question there, the supply chain. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You want to jump through the question first? Or do you want me to? Well, the what's what's another long lead item, and what's an example of it? Is there anything well, at twelve weeks, eight weeks? Yeah, we're looking at aluminum railings that have been impacted by tariffs. We've got paint that a lot of people don't realize. Last year, paint was a real nightmare to get because of storms mm -hmm. down in Texas, and apparently, a lot of the paint is manufactured there uh, locally here in the in the Washington area. We've had concrete strikes around Seattle that have delayed all things concrete. Uh, we've got issues with anything manufactured in China getting stuck in the ports. We've had labor and material shortages that have impacted a lot of local materials as well. So it's mm -hmm. been across the board. Yeah, and this in this chart you see on the screen, that, that gray line that goes up and down, that was lumber prices last year. And what, what drove that? Was that tariffs with Canada because a lot of our Pacific Northwest lumber comes out of Canada or do you know? Well, there are a couple of drivers on that. Um, a lot of it was down to mill capacity mm. and with COVID coming in, a lot of those mills shut down and then trying to get them started back up really was a long, slow process. Uh, and that sent a big wave right through the industry. Gotcha. So that that black dotted curve is last year's lumber price. The green and the red or those other things that are coming out are this year's, think of it like siding and windows. And so siding and windows is actually more expensive or higher of a curve than last year's lumber. Uh, and so on many of these strip and reclad jobs or where we're redoing the exterior, we're not, I mean, we're doing some framing and some lumber for any kind of water damage that we see inside, 
but the exterior is all siding and windows. And so we, we can just see the price per square foot is, is uh, ticking up there. So the root of this question is how do we work with a bid that's six months old uh, and how do we control these problems during our 10 month project? Uh, I don't wanna start a project and halfway through get hit with the excuse of uh, the contractor needs more money. Uh, how do we how do we manage this from a contract standpoint? So kind of that first question, you've, you know, this is a process, they, you understand they got to go through a loan, they need, or, you know, whatever, maybe they're settling a claim or some type of thing. But what happens when you've given a bid and six months goes by, and then the client comes back and says, okay, uh, last November, you said you could do it for a million dollars. Okay, get started. What happens, Brian? <laughs> Well, over the last year, we've had a lot of projects that <clears throat> those long lead times and those delays getting started have triggered having to go back and reprice and reprice. And I've seen uh, numerous jobs that after they bid have gone up six, eight, 10%. And we've had to go back to the owner and say, sorry, we can't do it for the price we bid it at six, eight months ago because these costs have gone up. Right. Yep. So the question becomes, Jens, a lot of people ask, well, should we wait? And the reality is over the last 10, 20 years, I don't think I can name a single period of time where waiting was actually beneficial for a client. Right. Um, we don't know what the future holds, but based on the past, those that waited have, have actually gotten into worse conditions. Even in the housing bubble where pricing was very high, if they waited, then the bubble burst, but they couldn't get financing. So there were other challenges that ended up stopping the projects. Right, right. So if we've got a, if we come back to you with a bid and say, look, you priced this out, uh, would you freshen up your numbers? Uh, another way, I guess, to do that would be, let's get that ballpark estimate or that ROM, rough order of magnitude estimate that, that is in another question here today that says, tell us roughly how much it is, you know, or what's an, you know, an educated guess. And so it's $500,000. And then you as the client, you make a project budget sheet and say, charter says $500,000. I'm going to put a 15% economic contingency on this. So I've got, you know, 500,000 extra in there. And then six months goes by and I'm going to call you back and I'm not going to tell you about that contingency, but I'm going to say, hey, freshen up your number. And your numbers come up six, seven, eight, nine percent. And then we're feeling good because we've set the right contingency. Uh, we can go to the bank and finalize it and then get started with construction. So once we've given you a letter of intent or a contract, uh, what do you do? Can you lock in your prices for the duration of the job? Well, yeah, Jens, I think you're on the, the right path there. You want to get the financing first, because if you bid it first, you're exposed to that long lead time. But once you've bid the project, what we want to do is get a letter of intent to start the ordering of the windows. It doesn't have to expose a homeowners association to the full cost impact, but being able to order those windows and know that they're locked in is the first thing. And then move to the contract and get that contract uh, worked out and issued as quickly as possible. Because as soon as an association issues a contract, to me, the contractor, 
I can go lock in all of my subcontractors and I can lock in all my materials and they're going to go lock them in with their suppliers. And then the HOA is not exposed to any of those material impacts unless they, they change their mind about something. If you decide you want the pink windows instead of the, the white ones, then suddenly you just open that door again. So lock in what your decisions are and the contracts and we can hold the pricing. Cool. So that, that would protect, that would protect the client during the construction phase. And the client could say, sorry, dude, you were supposed to lock in your contracts with your suppliers. I can't help you. Um, yeah, that, that's a good question. Waiting for a crash. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> yeah, we can wait. <laughs> okay. Oh, water break. Here is charters information on LinkedIn and you can follow them there. And uh, that's some information for you. Okay, so contractor inspections. We worked, yeah, we worked hard to have, uh, you know, charter construction and J2 people in the same picture there. So we didn't have any conflicts and didn't offend you, Brian. <clears throat> Thank you. Yeah, so the client is asking if we've had a visual inspection and we know we need to completely reside the building, why do we need an invasive investigation before we start the work? And I think some of the background of this was the contractors out here doing repairs. Um, why do we need, you know, they say we need a new strip and reclad. Why do we need J2 to do another set of openings and look around? And it's a good question. And I think from the, from the background of that, we always like to do an invasive inspection, a small one, just to be able to see under the siding, see what kind of damage you may have. This helps us set allowances for any issues we may find. Uh, it helps us understand some of those final repair details that we need to get in place. Um, most inspections are visual based. And so we can, we can walk around the building or a contractor could walk around the building and say, I'm seeing failed sealant here, here, and here. I see no head flashings. Uh, I see stains coming out of your building, but uh, why do we recommend an invasive investigation? It's just to help us. Is there sheathing under there? Is there the right thickness of stuff? Are we going to run into a problem we've seen fail on other buildings? But uh, you don't have to. You could certainly set your contingency higher. And instead of you know making some data-driven allowance percentages of assumed 15% sheathing replacement, you could assume 20 and if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen and you got something in there to protect you. What, uh, what kind of insight do you have for that, Brian, as a, as a contractor? Well, yeah, the, if you started out with a targeted repair, you may have uh, some good information there having taken apart some of the components. Um, perhaps you're seeing that there are issues and that's why you're expanding it to a full repair. Uh, those details would really matter though. The, the engineering firm, the architectural firm is going to really be critical, though, as, as far as telling you what they need to look at to see and to drop a design and give you a good scope that can be dialed in by a contractor who's bidding on it. The more vague the scope is, the broader your pricing is going to be and the more exposed you're going to be as a homeowner association. So it's in your interest to get it as dialed in as you can. Yep. Yep. Good point. Okay, we're looking at it here. I can give a little background here. Here is in our picture, we've got scaffolding set up. We've got WRB, the white Tyvek. That's your weather-resistant barrier. 
We've got some battens going on. This must be a rain screen assembly. Uh, looks like we're doing some kind of window mock-up. We've got windows installed, window trim on. But uh, we're out here doing either some kind of punch walk or some kind of training. We've got iPads and binders full of details. So this is what, you know, this is, this is how a project manager would, would help you run, run this project. So let's Joe go to the next one, ballpark estimates. So the question is, could you give us a ballpark estimate and break down the issues you identified in your preliminary findings report? Seems like many issues stem from the vents being improperly installed. We have a board meeting next week and it'd be super helpful to discuss these findings and potential costs to address them as a package with the rest of the unit owners. So this, as I alluded to earlier, <clears throat> and Brian talked about in the, in the, uh, the supply chain question was working with a ballpark estimate up front early as soon as you can. It does a few things. One, it helps you communicate to the HOA. Is this a $10,000 problem, a $100,000 problem, a half a million, a million, a, you know, what? What size of problem are we dealing with? And, uh, you know, we know how much we have in reserves. Is this something that we, that we need to start saving for over a couple of years or are we going to go get a loan or will we qualify for that much of a loan so that that estimating phase will definitely help you start the planning phase start getting some attention around that with the HOA start uh, you know helping maybe your lawyer needs to modify bylaws to be able to allow you to borrow money etc and so then just the other thing of just helping you helping you plan for plan for the fix. Can we save the windows? You know, or, or talking about those options. Hey, for, for a hundred grand more, we can do everything. So why don't we just bite the bullet and do everything and be happy with it and have one big warranty, be done with construction, have a new building and be able to sell and refinance and, and all that. Um, what do you have? What do you have to add to that, Brian? Yeah, I, the ballpark estimate or the budgetary estimate, as we usually call them, is a really valuable tool and it helps convert the report into what does it mean to me as a homeowner? What, what am I facing? What am I going to have to pay here? And so it can be a relatively inexpensive way to um, sort out and to understand what, what's going on with the building. Now, one thing to really note with budgetary estimates is that you have to understand that they're based on assumptions. And so determining those assumptions can drastically change the magnitude of the estimate. And so we'll, we'll frequently create these budgetary estimates for clients, but you as a client have to understand the margin of error that's in it and work with your, your designer to then go out, develop the scope, and then bid the project. Yep. So ROM is a nice way, rough order of magnitude. We used to call it swag and wag. Have you ever heard those terms? Have I? Yeah. <laughs> wag stands for wild ass guess. Swag stands for a scientific wild ass guess. So we can definitely understand what an estimate is. A guesstimate is, is it wild? Yeah. Let's try to be as close as we can to that but uh, be scientific in our, in our ability to get there. So, all right, construction terminology 101. So okay. I will, I will oh, add yeah. that, Jens, that 
with the budgetary estimates, we, we try not get to guess. We try mm -hmm. to put it on unit prices from other projects. We go out and we quantify the number of windows, the different items, so that we can avoid that. But there, there can be items where it's just too um, unknown and you have to guess. And some of that gets into the amount of damage or dry rot that's in a building. Mm -hmm. You have to guess at that. Yep. And an inspection, a pre-inspection investigation helps you find that. So see how all these questions roll together into being building Dr. Show worthy. Brooke does a good job of correlating this stuff. Thank you, Brooke. Okay, next question, stucco and window replacements. And this is a good one. This is, hey, 11 years ago, J2 did a consultation for our con condo community in regards to installing windows and in stucco. And, you know, we should only use Pella and you don't, you can do this targeted repair. And according to other people in the industry, this is no longer a standard. Uh, 11 years ago is a long time. So, yeah, it is a long time. It looks like the question is talking about a targeted repair, especially in stucco that's, that's complicated. Um, <clears throat> Brian, have you changed your mind on anything in the past 11 years? Well, just my beard, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, that, that was like six months or something like that, but no. Um, so the question here was about a targeted uh, window replacement program. And at that time, we felt that they could get away with that. And here's what this means. Let me turn my handy-dandy laser pointer back on again. Uh, a targeted repair in stucco for windows is to cut about six to eight inches of stucco away from the window. And you cut it carefully because if you run your blade too deep, you cut through that Tyvek or whether it's just a barrier and you, you cut it. And now you have a hole in it. And so you try to set your blade shallow, you score it, then you try to break it carefully. And so you, you get these cutouts around every window and then you got to figure out how to restore it. So the restoration process, if I'm cutting this around the sliding glass door because of the aesthetics of the building, I can kind of chip away to that inside corner and then I can repatch just to that corner. I can go door to corner and I don't have to get into this other area unless I'm chasing damage. Out here, I've got to kind of re-skim coat back up to at least that metal control joint that goes across, probably over to the corner and down to the bottom. It's just like painting your wall. If you've ever gotten a ding or something on your drywall and you try to just touch up that little spot, you'll see this clean area of paint and it just doesn't look good. So targeted repairs can, can kind of turn into their own, you know, a little bit of a uh, a little bit of a nightmare because by the time you're done with all that, maybe it was faster for me to just strip it all off. Uh, now I've got all these patches. Now I've got some stucco that I'm not sure about. It's old. Some is new. Now when there's leaks, you know, maybe I'm just doing the vents, but what about the deck to wall? What about the, uh, dryer vents and bathroom fan vents. So yeah, targeted repairs are careful. And they, you know, here's what we have to do if we have one window. We have to do a targeted repair. We're not going to strip all the stock to replace one window. But to replace all the windows and replace all the decks, uh, we start running into some economies of scale and it just starts getting a little bit <clears throat> iffy. 
Now, do you have to use Bella windows? No, of course not. Um, there's also, you know, it's been 11 years. Manufacturers have, have uh, come and gone and gone up and down. So uh, nobody is, no window manufacturer is sponsoring my show. So I'm not going to give them free time today. But uh, they're, you know, call us. We'll point you in the right direction to get some good windows and uh, be able to help you with that. The flip side of this question is 11 years ago, we told you to do something. Have you done anything? So the, you needed to do something 11 years ago. The building's not healing itself. Uh, I hope, you know, there's not more damage here. Um, so it might be a little too late, a little too long, a little too late. Maybe we'll have to do everything now. Who knows? But bottom line, thanks for reaching out. We'll call you. We'll come out and take a look and see if we can do that. Brian, what's your feedback on a targeted repair? Well, with unlimited resources, we're always going to prefer to do a complete repair. Now we realize, at least everybody except for my kids, realizes that resources are limited. Um, we've done selective repairs to, to stucco. We don't do a lot of it. And, and part of the reason is you don't get a lot of bang for your buck. You may space, spend 75% of the cost to get 30% of the benefit. And now if you've only got 30% or 75% of the money, you don't have a lot of choice. But if you can get there, you're usually better to do the full repair. Um, there's some other things that come into play though with selective repairs and, and one of them is warranties, um, the life expectancy of the repair and the visual appearance of that repair. When you cut around a window, it's more likely to re-crack along that cut because you have a cold joint there now in what is essentially a concrete product. Uh, you're also gonna run into warranty issues to where the contractor's gonna warranty what they put in, but they're not gonna warranty the rest that was existing. And they're also not gonna warranty where they come together because you are not gonna be able to prove that the joint was their fault. Did it go around what they put in to get in behind? And so it creates a lot of liability issues. If you can ever um, get to the full repair, you're definitely going to get your better value out of that. And that's, that's actually the warranty and the liability is actually a good question in this busy time. I, I imagine you as a contractor, hey, I've got 20 projects I'm working on. These are well laid out, well done, well done. Here's what? You want me to do what? You want me to take all this risk and do half a project? Forget it. End of the pile. When I get to it, I'll get to it. Is that, I mean, it seems like that would be a reasonable conclusion of, I mean, you. everybody's busy. So who has time to do hard projects, right? Well, Jens, that's a good point is that risk costs money. And mm -hmm. if you're going to ask a contractor to take your risk, because right now you own all that risk, if you're going to sell some of it to a contractor, you're going to pay the price, the going rate of that risk. When people aren't busy and they're slow, contractors are gonna pick that up and say, yeah, it's work, let's take it. But when they're busy, you're gonna pay a premium for it. Right, yeah, good question. Good question, hopefully we answered that one. Okay, let's see, oh, here's another water break. Clarity call, talk one-on-one -on -one with me, set up a call, there's the thing, the, uh, the scanny code, that's what, um, who likes to touch a menu in a restaurant these days? Now, now you get it and you're like, Ugh, yuck, where's the, where's the little sticker on the table? Let me beep that and look at my phone, right? The uh, QR codes are 
taken over the world. So if you want to get, get on the phone and talk about it, free 15-minute call, here's how you do it. Okay, do it to yourself. These are some, these are some interesting ones. Okay, uh, whether it's tile projects or window replacement projects, et cetera. Should we let our residents install their own bathroom tile? It's usually required that they do by the bylaws, but what if they hire someone who does a bad job or worse, just tile over a common element like a window? So this one, we had to do a double take on. So here we're outside this window. It looks like the shades are pulled or they got paper over it or something. We're, we're working on this plywood and siding and we find some damage below the window, but we also find a whole bunch of damage off to the right of the window. So we go inside and look and this red outline is where the window is supposed to be. So somebody just tiled over the window. They left everything in there and, and said, I want my bathroom to look this way. I don't want a pesky window in my bathroom. I'm just going to tile over it. So here's, here's the damage in that lower left photo of, you know, when they did a bad job and it looks like the tile sub they hired didn't put waterproofing correctly underneath the tile and it's made just a, just a big mess. If this is a ground floor unit, if it were on the third floor, it would be screwing up the second and first floor. And so it's very similar to a window replacement. Uh, you know, a lot of associations look to pass the buck and they say residents are responsible for their own windows. You, you deal with it. And we get a variety of installation techniques and lowest bidder wins. And so we've got leaking windows now on the third floor that are damaging the second floor and first floor, and it, it just makes a big pain. So the solution we've done for some of these associations is providing a providing a, a recipe, if you will. Here's how to put in your windows correctly. Here's the products to use. Here's how to do it. Here's a few details, and you put it on a shelf. And uh, you know, when people go to do that, the association says, "Thou shalt follow these details." Now, whether they do or not, who knows? But you could do the same thing with tile saying, hey, we know it's your, your bathroom, you need to pay for it, but make sure your contractor is putting a proper waterproofing barrier under it so it doesn't damage other things. So do you see stuff like this, Brian? I imagine you do. Yeah, we see plenty of damage to buildings from interior components that are done poorly. Um, this can be really hard to prevent when the residents own the interior finishes, they're doing mm -hmm. models. Inspections typically aren't efficient. There's, there's not really a way to get a contractor or an expert in there every time to check something like that. Um, education is probably the best, the best solution in advance and then controlling the liability after it happens. Now, by the time we find it, we're taking siding off, we're opening up these walls and we see the damage is already done we have a contract with the homeowners association so we can only charge the homeowners association. Now, whether the association turns around and, and charges the homeowner, that's between them that we don't have any control of it. But when we get into that, we've got to repair it. We can't put our siding back over damage like that. And so it does create challenges and problems to these projects. And it's something to be aware of. Uh, now, as common as, as interior issues where finishes like if there's ever a window in a, a shower or a, near a tub, that horizontal ledge is almost always a culprit. 
And so you want to try and slope those if you can. And that's where some of that education can really come in. But when we're on the outside, there are other issues that we run into as well that sometimes uh, we talked about the, the ticking time bomb, which is the, the pipe, the water pipe that had a nail in it 20 years ago. And it didn't leak at the time because the nail plugged the hole. But after 10, 15 years, that nail rusts through. And then suddenly you have a catastrophic leak. Uh, if it's a drain line, it can take longer to rust through. And then it's also not as catastrophic immediately. So you don't realize until it's slowly leaked out and rotted over years uh, in the wall. Now, there's another in this picture that you have up on the right you can see that little metal hole, the circle there, that's a vent. And one of the most dangerous things for us as contractors is getting into those vents. And so we will go and map out where every single one of them is in advance and then go check every single one to make sure it exists when we're done. Because if we paper over that and then suddenly side over it and don't realize there used to be a dryer there, that dryer is kicking all of that moisture right into the wall and you can have a $12,000 repair uh, in three months. Now that repair would be on me. So that's why we pay so much attention to it to make sure that it doesn't happen. But we also need to pay attention to things like pipes in the walls so that we don't shoot those as well. Yeah, and that's a real issue. So on the, on the pipes, you know, after the building is framed, the windows are in, the siding's on, here comes the plumber. Plumber drills through the studs and on the inside, we'll put a steel plate to keep the drywaller from screwing through it. But when you're doing exterior repairs, there's no steel plate there. And oftentimes the exterior sheathing is still on the building. So how do you kind of try to keep from hitting those pipes? Yeah, headache. You've identified the real problem there. When we take the sheathing off, we can see it and we do put the plates on. But if that sheathing doesn't come off, we don't know that if, if there's a pipe or a wire or anything else in that wall. Now by code, it's supposed to be set at a depth to where we can't hit it with a nail anyway. But the reality is that in a two by four wall, that's really impossible to do. And so those pipes are gonna snake through the wall and where they run closer to the surface, they can get hit by a nail. And so it yep. does become problematic. Yep, I know we're pushing up against time, so we're gonna go a little faster, but I want, I still have my red, highlighter out here. Here's that level sill that we were talking about, the level window sill. We want to see those slopes. So any incidental water that hits it is, is directed back in. Uh, we can see the framing there. The window isn't window opening isn't wrapped. Tile looks beautiful, looks great, but uh, we've got some problems under it. Here you can see from the exterior, here's the window. Uh, the, the studs are totally rotten. The the backer board is, is damaged. There's the tub. Uh, but you can also see water coming from that vent that maybe was covered or maybe wasn't flashed right. Looks like the header had to be replaced there. So lots of things are going on here. And, and it's just important to make sure that residents and exterior projects work together to get these things done right. Let's see the last question. So contractor vetting. We are in the bidding phase for some repair work and the contractors are telling us different things. Uh, you know, some are saying you don't have to be licensed. You don't need a permit. Um, you don't need a J2. How should we vet them and how do we know if they can perform the work correctly? And I think, you know, the, the licensing question is kind of a 
kind of a bare minimum uh, from, you know, I'm not going to get into the moral discussion of you're not licensed, so you're bad. But once licensed, they come with a legal, that comes with a legal framework. And so licensing requires you to be bonded and insured. It requires you to, to you know, follow some basic compliance. It requires you to have a uh, business license and, you know, contractor's license. And, and those, those all vary from state to state. But um, when you're, yeah, if you're not even licensed, it's like, oh boy. So then we get into experience show me similar projects in the neighborhood that I can go by and see that, that you've you know, done and uh, even talk to some of the references there. Every association has, has a contractor in it, has a lawyer in it, has an architect in it. So are they specifically building envelope related or leak and water damage and occupied construction related? And they can certainly be a good advocate and they can get on that architectural subcommittee or even the board and, and be a great advocate uh, between, between the association and the construction team. Um, but just because your contractor doing bathroom tile jobs doesn't mean you're the right contractor to do, a, do an exterior uh, remediation job. So Brian, what are, what are some good contractor vetting tips from a contractor? Yeah, I think you're right on. The licenses are a low bar. Uh, <laughs> It's time for code, right? <clears throat> just run, run right away if they don't have a license. But being licensed, a licensed contractor doesn't make you a good contractor or qualified. So what you want to do is you want to network, like you're saying, and find people that you trust, that you know, and then see who they know and work through that networking. If, if they're hiring a consultant, that consultant's already going to know people. Uh, if you're in a homeowners association, you're going to have an attorney who knows people. You're going to have a, a a manager who knows people. So find leads on contractors, then go visit their projects, look at what they've done. If they can't show you three or four projects that they've done, they're, they're really not qualified to be working in this industry. Interview them, sit down, ask them questions and see how well they communicate. Because you're not just hiring someone to build your project. You have sometimes hundreds of homeowners that are living there as well. And you don't want them all knocking on your door in the middle of the night. You need someone who can communicate with them, who understands this work, and that it is really working with occupied spaces, not just building construction. You're, you're essentially dating for 10 months. I mean, you're going to see them every day and you're going to have fights and you're going to, some people are going to bring, bring them cookies, et cetera. So there has to be some chemistry there. And you know, we've seen it. We always do bidder interviews with the top two bidders and, you know, let the client decide. And boy, walking into some of those, we'll say, well, this, this contractor A seems like they're going to get it. Their price is right. And, and uh, you know, but then all of a sudden the board chooses contractor B just because they, they like them, you know, that kind of thing. And it's not all about pricing. It's about most responsive. And, and that, that, that contractor had some good you know, you know, here's how I'm doing the job. Here's, here's what we've done on other jobs. Here's how we've handled that situation in the past. And so bitter interviews is a big one. Okay. That is it. Thank you folks for listening to the pre pre-program questions. Now we've got uh, the live Q and a here. Let me, let me jump over to the Q and a. Um, Let's see. Doug is asking about the Freddie Mac form. Yeah. 
That I am looking at it right here. It is uh, it is one full page and a back page. It's twelve questions. This this is going to be an industry thing here, uh, and it sounds like the banks are needing it uh, for any kind of lending. And so, uh, you know, there's there's simple simple questions here. Number one, when was the last building inspection by a licensed architect, licensed engineer, or any other building inspector? You know, date. Uh, did these inspections have any findings related to the safety or structural integrity, etc.? And so we, we can take you through that form. We can, we can write a letter about it uh, and we can do that, but we'll cover that more in, in next, next month's uh, show. But yeah, it's, it's something we're all getting our arms around. It's brand new. I, I hear it's coming from the Surfside condo collapse in, in Florida that was, you know, the, as the details are coming out, it was, they knew they had stuff and the board kept kicking that can down the road and, and it finally collapsed. But on the flip side, a lot of insurance policies have the collapse piece in them. So it says the insurance company will pay you money if your building is collapsed and on the ground. And so they are stuck in a quandary of, I don't get any coverage unless my building has collapsed, but uh, obviously we don't want that. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a mess. So helping you get the scope together, filling out the form, uh, not exposing us to liability. Yep, yep, we can certainly do those for you. Uh, can you replace wood siding without replacing windows? Yes, yep, we, we talked about that. We talked about that in the, uh, in the, in the show. We can, we can work around it. We'll tell you the pros and cons of uh, leaving things in place and trying to work around them and, and go from there. So good questions there. That's also a good uh, reason to do an investigation though, is to yeah. really, and that's a situation where you'd have to investigate to see how the windows are done. Gotcha, perfect. Okay, uh, let's see, I'm looking through the chats. The chats look normal there. Brooke, are we answering all of our questions there? There's a answer live and a type answer. Yep, you've you've got them all. Looks like. Okay, perfect. We're done with that. I wanted to show the audience that Brooke exists too, so she's there. <laughs> okay, so now next thing, giveaways. Okay, here is where we're gonna ask uh, ask you. We've got two giveaways. Brian, why don't you share your giveaway? Well, chance we hold it up to the camera. Being contractors, we have a big thermos and nice, keep your, your coffee warm while you're on the construction site. We are not allowed indoors, so we have to work out in the cold weather while the architects stay warm. So we need a good thermos. Um, it also comes with a couple of, well, little cups. Apparently we give these away to architects very often. So little <laughs> cups, but you can refill them. So a couple of cups and a thermos, and we'll be giving that away today. Got it. So we're going to ask Brian to write down something on a piece of paper so we can prove. And then we're going to ask you to go ahead and write your number one through 50 in the chat. And, uh, you know, guess a number between one and 50. And while you're doing that, do a second number so you can go one slash five or whatever. So do two numbers because we're going to give away some J2 brew to go in that thermos. So this is nice coffee. 
made for us by a local uh, person here, roasted specifically for us. We got to keep this under the lock and key in the office, otherwise it walks away because <clears throat> we drink a lot of coffee. So let's see. Okay, where's my pen? I'm going to write down my number between one and 50. Get your numbers in. Brian, Brian's writing down a number right now too. And we are going to look through the chat. We're going to give you a few more seconds here. We're seeing lots of, there you go. Okay, it's gonna get gonna get hectic. So, all right, Brian, what's your number? Well, Jens, we are number one. <laughs> I can't. I, I would be disappointed when you come up with number two, but uh, we're number one. That's our. Glad number. I didn't fall into that. <clears throat> okay, and <laughs> what? Then, then uh, we are number twenty-five. So number one will get you, one or closest to one will get you a thermos and 25 or closest to 25 will get you coffee to go in that thermos. And so Brooke will work with you on those numbers. And if you want to direct message her, give her a phone number or an email, give her an email address and she'll get back to you and she'll figure out how to get those things mailed or shipped to you. So big thermos, big, uh, big box. Oh, and Heather's liking the See, the J2 brew is good. It's, it's really good. This, this was a, uh, how this story came up. Here's a quick story. There was somebody's kid soccer team, I think, and they were doing coffee instead of annoying beef jerky packages or whatever. We like the coffee so much, we reached out and said, would you make us some? And so, yeah, what started as a cool kid, little league fundraiser or whatever, turned into a pretty cool giveaway. So, okay, uh, get Brooke your info there and we will do a couple more little things and then get it wrapped up, staying within the hour. So special thanks to Brian. Again, Brian with Charter, uh, you have great, great insight, great, great questions or great uh, answers and perspectives to that. I, we appreciate you being on the show. There's how you get a hold of him. Uh, and uh, yeah, thank you for attending. Here's hello at J2 Consultants. So we'll get, uh, get somebody for you. Uh, and then don't forget, we'll be back each month, last Tuesday of the month. Invite your friends, scan in there. You can get it posted on your calendar. And uh, get those replays so you can watch whenever you want to watch them. Brian, do you have any closing statements? Uh, no, I just want to thank you for inviting me on. It's been a wonderful time and I hope people got something out of this. Yeah, definitely. All right. Thank you, everyone. Have a great rest of the week. See you later. <laughs>